This is In the Market with Janet Parshall, one 3675 I am thrilled I get to spend the next 30 minutes with my friend Joel Rosenberg. And I have oh so many questions, and I hope I ask the questions that you have in your heart, too. Because if you could sit down and have a cup of Israeli coffee... Did, did I mention Israeli coffee? I'll tell you why in a minute. With Joel, what would you ask him? What would be the kinds of questions? Would you ask him about his writing? I mean, guys to the top of the New York Times bestselling list all the time, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, his understanding of the word, his application of the news of the day that he folds into his book. Sometimes people are going, whoa, how'd you know that was going to happen? That's a little weird. But, you know, you read the word of God. You're an astute observer of what's going on. You know, he's kind of like the men at the tribe of Issachar. They knew the times. They knew what to do for the nation. You know how that goes. And or would you just say, well, now that you've moved to Israel, can you tell us what it's like over there? I mean, maybe I've been in a tour with my church. Maybe I've had a friend or a relative who went. But I mean, seven days a week, 24 hours a day to actually be an Israeli citizen. What in the world is that like? Well, you know what? Um, I could like ask Joel. So I think I will. Joel, what in the world is that like? <laughs> well, good to be with you. And uh, <laughs> um, happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, I should throw in there. Uh, it's yeah. good to be with you, Janet. Bless you. Well, it's been fascinating. I, I will tell you, at the moment, I'm in Washington, D.C., uh, because we've got Joshua Fund board meetings uh, over the weekend here. So I'm actually back in the States and, and happy to see some Christmas trees and hear some Christmas <laughs> music in the hotel. Why? Because in Israel, there's no evidence of Jesus. One of the striking things, I'm going to start that way, is how absent Jesus or Yeshua is from the culture that mm. he was born into, that he uh, taught into, that he died and rose again in, and where he's coming back to. And it's, and it's striking to be back in the States, and even in a culture, you know, where you don't know if the particular hotel or restaurant you're in, you know, has, cares particularly about Jesus, but, but, you know, there's just the trappings of, at least of our culture, right, which is, yeah. which, yes. which is Christmas. And it's actually very refreshing. <laughs> but that being said, um, one of the joys of being in Israel is, is getting to build friendships and relationships. I mean, talk about love your neighbors. Now they're my actual neighbors. And, <laughs> and it's been fun. Um, I think Hebrew has been the most difficult. Uh, the boys and Lynn and I are all studying four hours a day, um, plus lots of homework. And our, my mind, as a, at 47, is doing less well with it than the boys. <laughs> all right, you so know? i got to stop you. i got to stop yeah, you, okay? Sorry. Four hours a day, say something in Hebrew. Oh, my goodness. I want to speak Hebrew, but I don't exactly know how to speak Hebrew. And, you got that glottal thing down perfectly. And I need I need to speak it. Anyway, it's been wow. fascinating, though. And we have a tutor. Uh, the boys go to an actual language school at a college, and so they're, uh, they're immersed that way. We, for, my, for Lynn and me and one of our boys, we actually hired a tutor because my schedule doesn't allow me, you know, to stay on a class schedule, some, a, a, an mm-hmm. academic schedule. So he comes to our home, actually, um, from 8 in the morning uh, right on to about, just about noon, and he sits with us, and he's a taskmaster, but he's wonderful. Wonderful. He was born mm-hmm. in 1948. He's a Sabra, meaning he's a native Israeli. He's Yemenite. So the Yemenites seem to, people from Yemen, they are very finicky about the Hebrew language. Like, they're really carefully preserving it. And so he's just great. And he, my kids love him. We love him. 
and he's uh, he's gentle. I mean, he's a taskmaster. I mean, he wants us to learn. He pushes us, but he's uh, he's also a very sweet and, and gentle man. So we appreciate oh. it. But that's oh, the neat. biggest challenge. Uh, Aside from, you know, well, where am I going to go to the doctor yeah, when I, yeah. you know, where am I going to go buy this, you know, appliance or, but it's all an exciting adventure right now. And uh, it's just an honor. I, I can't believe it's happening, but uh, wow. four months in, wow. we haven't, we haven't, we haven't left yet, except we're here, but and, I mean, you know, and except for that. Because <laughs> it's a direct line to God while you're in Israel, as they always like to tell us when we're there. Um, have you, have the Lord in his precious tenderness toward you affirmed the rightness of this move at this time in your family's lives? Well, I, the Lord had given us a lot of ways of uh, confirming that it was him that was telling us to go. Uh, we had such peace that we were able to to land during, you know, that terrible rocket and missile war this summer and not and not blink. I mean, normally you wouldn't suggest moving to a foreign country, you know, in the midst of 4,300 rockets and missiles landing on it, right. right? And even if you were planning to go there for a while, you might say, all right, maybe not this month. We'll just wait for this to ride out. But we just knew that the Lord was telling us. And so um, I, I, I think now, so, so we haven't doubted that for a second. And I think if you can go through a war and not doubt it, I think everything else will seem easier by comparison. Yes. Yes. I will say that one of the things that's that's really interesting is uh, well I don't I don't want to go on and on but I, I so let me stop there because that was your specific question. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm drinking all of this in, let me just ask a lifestyle question, and that is okay. So you talked about coming back to the states, and even in what is a markedly secular culture, there is at least some tacit recognition of what Christmas is all about. You hear it in the Christmas carols in the grocery store, you see the trees, etc. So now the Rosenberg family living in Israel says, okay, we know what this season is all about. Do you put up decorations? Do you explain to your Jewish friends and neighbors what you're doing? Or do you say, no, this year it's going to be Hanukkah in Israel? Right. Well, that's, yeah, well, we're definitely going to celebrate Hanukkah, but we're going to celebrate Christmas because uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's not technically a biblical holiday, right? In the sense that Christmas trees and lights and Amy Grant on, you know, or Michael W. Smith on the radio, you know, or whatever. It's uh, right. That's, there's nothing specifically biblical about that. That's more culture, but, you know, I mean, okay, admittedly, we probably won't have a ham. Okay, that's, that's so, you know, there'll be some <laughs> things that we're, like, trying to be culturally sensitive to, right? And, um, but I, I think that, I think that uh, you know, those are good questions, but I think our basic answer as a family is we're going to be the Rosenbergs in Israel who we've been in North America. I mean, I generally mm -hmm. believe that you should be walking with Jesus and whatever he's teaching you to do in one place. Yeah, there's cultural changes you make to be sensitive, but I don't think we have to throw out, you know, some people are very sensitive. Oh, you can't celebrate Christmas. Really? I mean, we're going to celebrate Christmas. Uh, mm. uh, we're going to go to Bethlehem. Uh, and uh, I, I think on Christmas Eve, we'll probably go. Uh, there's a there's a couple places you can go that we might just look out over Shepherd's Field, bring some hot oh, chocolate, wow. sing some oh. carols, read the scriptures. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can do that. So, all right, everybody isn't doing it, but the Rosenbergs are going to do it. We're going to try anyway, <laughs> Lord willing. <laughs> that is not, fabulous. Right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. You don't need a whole lot of decorations. You're right there. I mean, hello. You can right. go and buy the olive wood nativity scene in Bethlehem, or you could just go to Bethlehem. You know, I mean, whatever works. We might do both. Oh, my goodness. Right? <laughs> exactly. All right. It so now because you're... The economy and the Israeli economy. <laughs> that, with, that's exactly yeah. right. And you know, by the way, so now... the number... they do sell Christmas trees in Israel. And you know who's the... Who really? Sells them? Yeah, the Jewish National Fund. 
<laughs> Last year there was an article in the Jerusalem Post that the Jewish National Fund, right, that the main Jewish people that who who, who plant all the trees to make keep the country green and they're the ones selling Christmas trees, and they sold record numbers last year to, to Christians, to embassies, to business people that are living there, to students, uh, to Palestinian Arab, uh, Israeli Arab Christians. So we probably will get one. It'll probably look like Charlie Brown's, okay, admittedly, because you know, we don't have a lot of space in our tiny apartment, but whatever. Absolutely. Oh, it'll be a Christmas to remember no matter what. Joel, let me take a break if I can. Joel Rosenberg, well, now he's a citizen as well of Israel, but he's in the States because the Joshua Fund's got some board meetings this weekend, but we get a chance to visit with him. More after this. What a privilege it is to spend time anytime with Joel Rosenberg, who is a New York Times bestselling author. But even more importantly, he and his wife, Lynn, founded the Joshua Fund, which is a marvelous ministry that shows the love of Christ in such tangible ways to people living in the Middle East. It really is about blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. You know, preach and if you must use words, it's a very important and old axiom, but it really does apply. By the way, his latest book, The Auschwitz Escape, it's right there. In fact, I don't think it's the latest. It's one in a series of many, and they just keep coming and coming and coming, for which we are all very grateful. But we put The Auschwitz Escape up there for you to be able to read as well. So click on through it in the market with JanetParshall.org, and you need to get his flash traffic reports and read his blog and get abreast, particularly when Joel now is coming to us from Israel, which takes me to you, Joel, and your observations. Okay, so this, the euphemism is the knife intifada. I'm holding my breath, watching the actions that are going so often now, so frequently, at the Temple Mount itself. What is going on? Well, uh, some real serious uh, trouble is developing. I don't call it yet an intifada. I don't see it yet as as having gotten that bad. I think what we're watching is a series of um, uh, I think that they're uh, interconnected only in, in concept, people, uh, individual people uh, making attacks on Israeli citizens, uh, using knives, using hatchets, sometimes using mm. cars, just driving into pedestrians. Yes, I, yes. I don't see evidence yet, for in, at least in the news or from my sources, that, it, that these things are an actual planned. I mean, they're planned in the broadest sense that Hamas and other terrorist groups are encouraging people to do it, but I don't see it as, as systematic yet. And the security forces have really uh, been deployed in, in a very aggressive um, uh, way, in, 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 particularly in Jerusalem. I mean, you have thousands more police officers on the street, they're, and they're cordoning off certain sections and searching people if they're coming through into, uh, into Jewish parts of Jerusalem. So my point is they, they seem to have a handle on it. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be continued attacks. But when the intifadas broke out, the first in 1987, I was in Israel as a student at Tel Aviv University when that broke out. And then later in the early 2000, uh, 2001, 2002, those were, those were systematic, and that was, that was terrorism every single day, usually every single hour. You either had, um, you, like in, in 2000, 2001, 2002, that's was suicide bombings going off again and again and again and again, and we're not seeing anything like that. The attacks have been horrible, and they've rattled the country, um, but it's not systematic and continuous like other intifadas have been. So could it go there? It could. That's why we continue to pray 
for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, but I, I think we have to be careful not to overstate what's happening right now. Yeah, absolutely an important point. So because it tends to be cyclical, up, down, missiles, no missiles, quiet, intifada is quiet, intifada. Where would you say we are right now? And what do you anticipate the next beat being? Because you're, you're particularly sensitive, Joel, to where you think that next beat may come from. Well, <clears throat> look, the two biggest issues in the region right now um, aren't, aren't these knife attacks. They aren't the hatchet attacks, even those are horrible. And, you know, it's like living in, in Chicago or in, you know, someplace in some urban area where you hear about something and it's horrible. And it is. But when you talk about strategic threats to Israel or to the West generally, to the United States, the number one remains Iran. And it's, it's getting closer and closer to uh, becoming a nuclear weapons power. And no set of negotiations seem to be working. And the Western resolve seems to be weakening. Um, and so that's the huge danger. And, and it's getting closer and closer every day. And then second is ISIS, uh, the Islamic State, which has created near genocidal conditions in Syria, in Iraq, and I'm concerned may hit another target soon. The question is which one. That's actually the the, the heart of my next novel, which comes out mm. January 6th, uh, which is called the third target. And I'm not going to give away what I think might be the next target. But I mean, yeah, but you can imagine all the scenarios. It could be the United States. It could be yes. Israel. It could be an Arab country. We we don't know yet. But um, so those are the two big things. But now this week, I have to say. You'd think that that would be the topics of discussion in Israel, but it's not. Iran is not the topic. ISIS is not the topic. What's the topic? That Prime Minister Netanyahu just felt he had to fire two of his cabinet members, and now his whole government is unraveled, and he's called for, for new elections. And so on March 17th, it looks like, Israel's going back to the polls uh, to, to vote again on a whole new government. Uh, it, everything's unraveled in the course of uh, just about 48 hours. And one benefit for me is I'm now going to get to vote f again. And so it's kind of <laughs> like living in Chicago. Um, as an American, I get to vote. But as an Israeli citizen, I get to vote. So March 17th, I'm going to make sure I'm in the country and uh, <laughs> Lynn and I are going to vote. And uh, it's kind of exciting. But uh, we didn't expect that to come up so fast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. So let me ask you about this, because, again, the governance of Israel cannot be compared jot and tittle to the governance that we have here, the governing system we have here in the United States. So I read one British paper's take on this. So, you know, automatically what the tilt is going to be on this, Joel. But they're saying that this, quote, they call it a surprise election and they're calling it a, quote, paranoid gamble. Would you say they were right or wrong? Uh, well, they're wrong, but I mean, except in the fact that the, the, it's a parliamentary system in Israel. It's yes. not like yes. our, ours. And uh, one of the challenges is that, I mean, all right, maybe it is paranoid, but everybody over there in the political system feels like everyone else is about to try to overthrow them. Um, and they're usually right, actually. I mean, you had a couple members of Netanyahu's government who were not only plotting to overthrow his is, you know, I don't mean overthrow like in a you know Russian putsch, but you know yes, in, in a yes. parliamentary way. But uh, not only were they doing that behind the scenes, but they were publicly blasting the prime minister over his own policies inside the government. That would be, you know, that would be like uh, you know the Secretary of State. Exactly. Clinton was attacking Obama from the State Department, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not that's yeah. not what people sign on to when they sign on to a, to a, uh, being in a government. You want to go into the opposition 
you need to resign if you're planning to attack your leader. Criticize behind the scenes, you know, that's fine. Of course, it's your role and responsibility. But anyway, anyway, Netanyahu's got a huge problem, but he, uh, but you know, there are many people in the country who aren't sure that he should be the prime minister anymore, and and, and so we're going to watch it all play out here over the next three months or so. Wow. So interesting. One of the strengths, it seems to me, and why he's had the position not once but twice is because he has really made Israel's security his number one issue. He says that when he comes to the U.N. He says that when he comes to the United States. And by the way, just to know that politics is politics anywhere in the world. One of the people he dismissed was Zippy Livni, who wanted his job at one point. Did she not? Right. Right. Well, yes. And the other guy is his finance minister. Yair Lapid, who publicly said, I want your job after he was elected and got into the government. So, you know, it's those types of things that you think, "Okay, well, that's not really being a team player. Uh, But, you know, but what makes this interesting and and actually troubling is that it's going to paralyze Israel's um, or potentially potentially paralyze the nation's ability to to consider its outside threats, Iran and ISIS at a moment when those are serious and rapidly rising uh, concerns, and yet the country will be very internally focused. Uh, now, um, you know, I, I don't want to play prognosticator of exactly how it's going to play out, because there's a lot of different scenarios. Uh, so let me shift from the believer perspective. So what do believers do? Well, I think we, we pray for the Lord to do the right thing. Daniel chapter 2 says that God establishes kings, and he removes mm-hmm. them. So the Lord knows who he wants governing Israel, uh, just like he knew. And that that can be a positive sometimes, but it can also be like the Lord established the Pharaoh uh, Mm. to glorify his name when the Jews were in in captivity there uh, during Moses' time. The Lord chooses in his, you know, know, so so we just have to keep that in mind. And, And that sovereignty of God can give us assurance that we don't have to worry what the future holds. We pray, and in a a democratic system, we can do everything we we feel in good conscience we should do to elect the people whose values and policies we agree with, and then we trust the Lord. Now, the other piece is to keep focused on, as the country is engulfed in a political crisis, believers like the Joshua Fund, we need to continue caring for Jewish people, for Arab people, for strengthening the church, for Mm -hmm. investing in food and clothing and medical supplies. And we don't have to wait for the government to do the right thing. We can do it because we we have a king. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I love spending time with Joel Rosenberg. So he can vivisect the news, he can analyze the news, he can write best-selling books, but when it all is said and done, it's about Jesus and his word and living a life of authentic Christianity, whether it's here or in the Middle East. Wow, fabulous. Visit his website, learn more about the Joshua Fund, a fabulous ministry that really and truly shows the love of Jesus in such concrete ways to people in the Middle East. His book, The Auschwitz Escape, this is until the new one comes out in January, of course, and then we'll put another resource up there, but also his website, his flash traffic reports, and his blog, all fabulous stuff. So check it out. We do thank Joel so much for the gift of his time. And thank you for joining us. When you go to the website, answer the question of the week and check out this month's truth tool. It's yours for a gift of any size, or you can call 877-JANET-58. Thanks for being with us on In the Market with Janet Partial. We are a production of Moody Radio in Chicago. We'll see you next time.